the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. We are called to be ready because he's coming again. Jesus even said in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me, for in my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you might be also. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Nehemiah. While many of us probably have a rather solid understanding of the imminence of Christ, how many of us actually believe it? No matter how many times we might read in the Bible that we're to live as if He could return any day, it doesn't mean that we always live it out. In today's message, Pastor Gary reminds us that the return of Christ could happen at any moment and how we should live accordingly. In our study, we learn the importance of living our lives in such a way that will bring honor and glory to our King who will one day return. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Nehemiah 3 for part one of today's message titled, The Second Coming of Christ and Judgment Day. Nehemiah chapter 3, that's where we are today. So take your Bibles and go to Nehemiah 3 with me if you would please. We've been looking at Nehemiah 3 for the past several weeks, which details the rebuilding of the city walls and gates of Jerusalem. We've been taking our time looking at how they reconstructed the walls and the gates in a counterclockwise direction. Chapter 3 tells us all of this. Chapter 3 tells us that there are 10 gates around the city of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day. Each gate was named. Each gate had a purpose. And each purpose translates to a modern parallel today, something that is important for us individually and collectively as a church corporately because here we are in the middle of our own building project and it is good for us to look at books like Ezra and Nehemiah that deal with building and uh, to glean important principles from God's word so that we can stay on track and have our priorities right. And so as we've been going through chapter 3 here over the last several weeks, uh, this is the general outline of the city of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day. Again, there were 10 gates situated around the perimeter of the city And so far, we've looked at eight out of the ten gates, starting with the sheep gate going in a counterclockwise direction. And uh, just to recap really quickly, because I need to uh, make 
make haste in our study today, but the sheep gate reminds us of Jesus, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Then going counterclockwise, the fish gate reminds us of evangelism. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. And then the old gate, the Yeshana gate, is where the elders would sit and dispense truth and wisdom. And it is a reminder to us we need to seek truth, be people of truth. And then the valley gate after that, the reminder of the low points in our lives. But Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. He's the one who will lift us up and minister to us when we are in the valley. The dung gate was the southern part of the city where they would take all their trash and garbage through the dung gate, all the refuse of the city, a reminder to us to deal with the sin and the garbage in our own lives before God. Then moving around to the eastern side, the fountain gate, a reminder to us of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when you know me and have relationship with me, the presence of my spirit will be like rivers of living water that well up from within you, like a fountain. The water gate reminds us of the Bible. Ephesians 5 tells us that Jesus will cleanse us through the washing of the, of, with water through the word. And so we had a time where we talked about the inerrancy, the inspiration, the infallibility of the Bible, and the importance of the Bible as central to all that we do here. And then last week we looked at the horse gate. That was the place where the cavalry would come and go, a reminder to us of war. And we applied it in our lives regarding spiritual warfare. And uh, from last weekend, I can tell you, in every service, dozens of people stood. We prayed for one another. It is a good reminder to us that we will all at different times have various battles that are not necessarily flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So continue to pray for one another. As I pray for you, please pray for me as well, because we're in this battle together. But greater is he, the Lord, in us than he that is in the world. So that brings us today to the final two gates. I'm going to look at both of these together. We're going to conclude chapter 3 in our study through the gates. And uh, we come now to gate number 9, which is the east gate, and then followed by also today the inspection gate, gate number 10. These are the last two gates. Uh, Actually, there is an 11th gate that we're not going to study, and it is a gate that is worth a lot of money. And that's Bill Gates. But that's a whole other study, not, not in the Bible. That's a whole other study. All right, so that's the gate joke for the day. And now uh, let's take a look here at Nehemiah chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 29 to 32 and closing out the chapter. So verse 29 says, Next to them Zadok, son of Emer, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the guard at the east gate. There you have it, the east gate, made repairs. Next to him Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. Next to them Meshalam, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. Next to him Malchiah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite And here you have it, the inspection gate. Now, by the way, if you have a King James Bible, it says the Mifkad gate. They opt for the Hebrew word there. If you have an English Standard Version, it says the muster gate. And I'll explain the difference between those terms. But here in the NIV, it says inspection gate. And as far as the room above the corner. And between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. When it comes to certain points on the compass, east is a particularly significant place throughout the Bible. Uh, There are many references to east and why it is important to understand 
concerning significant events and places in the Bible. So as we start here with the East Gate, let me just kind of highlight a few things in the Bible which mention the significance of East. God planted a garden in the East, in Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord and rebelled against him, and they were expelled from the Garden of Eden, the Bible says that God stationed cherubim, angels, with flaming swords to guard the East entrance of the Garden of Eden so that Adam and Eve could not go back. When Moses fashioned the tabernacle by the instruction of the Lord as the place of worship through the wilderness experience, the tabernacle entrance always faced east. When Solomon then would later build the permanent temple in Jerusalem, the entrance of the temple faced east. When the wise men came to visit little Jesus after he was born, the wise men came from the East. And here's perhaps the most significant thing about the East in terms of what the Bible describes for us, and that is that the Bible says that Jesus Christ will once again come. He will come again to the earth, and he will come to the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. And the Bible even is specific. It says that he will also then enter the east gate of the city of Jerusalem, and the glory of the Lord will return to Israel. East is a very important point on the compass of the Bible. And so today we're going to take a look at the idea of the second coming of Christ, because this is what the East Gate points to. The Bible teaches that when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he then lived 40 more days on the earth before he ascended into heaven from which he came. And it tells us in Acts chapter 1 that he ascended back into heaven from the hill called the Mount of Olives. And that as his disciples were gathered there with him on the Mount of Olives, and they watched him as he ascended back into heaven. The Bible says in Acts 1, 11 and 12, that two angels appeared to the disciples. And the angels said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And then verse 12 says, and then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. So it gives us the reference point, and it tells us some very important truth. That is this, that there will come a day when Jesus Christ will return. We call it his second coming. He will come again to the earth. He will come to the Mount of Olives, the same place from which he ascended. He will return to the Mount of Olives. He will then go down the slope of the hill of the Mount of Olives cross the Kidron Valley, up into Jerusalem, and enter through the East Gate. It's a journey of about three-quarters of a mile, but the Bible speaks of it clearly. In fact, the prophet Ezekiel prophesied about the second coming of Christ and the glory of the Lord that shall return through the East Gate. And I want you to see the prophet Ezekiel and what he said out of Ezekiel 43. He said, Then the man brought me to the gate facing east. This is the gate we're talking about. And I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So Ezekiel is very clear that the Lord shall return, enter the east gate. Glory of the Lord fills the city and fills the temple. David also saw this when he prophesied in Psalm 24, 9 and 10. Lift up your heads, O you gates. 
Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. So those of you who are taking notes in our journey through Ezra and Nehemiah, this is point number 19, and it has to do with the East Gate. It reminds us of the second coming of Christ and how we must always be prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Folks, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. John in Revelation 19.7 said this, The marriage of the Lamb has come. And the bride has made herself ready. We are the bride of Christ. Jesus is the lamb who died for the sins of the world. We are called to be ready because he's coming again. Jesus even said in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my father's house are many mansions. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you might be also. So what is he speaking of? He says, listen, I'm going to go away, but I'm coming again, and I'm going to receive you unto myself. Jesus is coming again, and when he comes again, he's going to come to the Mount of Olives, descend the slopes into the city of Jerusalem through the east gate. Ezekiel saw it. David saw it. We need to be ready for it. Now, In terms of the east gate, something important to understand. The gates and the city walls during the day of Nehemiah have been ruined and reconstructed many times over the past many centuries. But it is, however, built over the ruins of the east gate during the days of Nehemiah. And it was built and it is considered now the oldest of the gates of Jerusalem. Today, there are eight gates around the old city of Jerusalem. This is the oldest one built in the 6th century A.D. It is the only double-arched gate, if you'll notice. And if you notice something else, it is the only gate that is walled up. It is blockaded. Now, why is it like that? It's been like that since 1541. And here's the story behind it. In the early 1500s, around 1517, the Muslim Turks came to Israel and incorporated it and overtook the land as part of the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire meant that the Muslims, who were Turkish, ruled the world at this particular time. And uh, one of the sultans of the day was Suleiman I, otherwise known as Suleiman the Magnificent, who in 1541 gave the orders for this gate to be walled up. Now, why did Suleiman the Magnificent ask for this gate to be walled up, order that this gate should be walled up, because the Muslims knew from the Jewish Bible that the Messiah would come through the east gate according to the prophecy of Ezekiel 43. So Suleiman the Magnificent said, we're going to prevent the Messiah from coming into this city, not under my watch, and so we're going to wall up the city gate on the east side here. And in addition... The Muslims also decided, we're going to have a Muslim cemetery here. Because they also knew that Messiah was supposed to be a priest. And as a Kohen, as a priest, priests would not normally walk through a cemetery because they would defile themselves by being near dead bodies. So the Muslims, in effect, said to the Messiah, we're going to wall up the east gate 
And in addition, we dare you to come, but we're going to put a cemetery in front of the East Gate. We double dog dare you. (laughs) As if you could actually keep out Jesus Christ when he returns, folks. When he comes back, he's going through the East Gate. With all due respect to Suleiman the Magnificent, may Allah bless his turban. He's coming back, and he's going through the East Gate. Amen? It's not like Jesus is going to show up and like, okay, I've told you I was going to return. Here I am. I've come again. But, ah, somebody blocked up the East Gate. (laughs) He's coming again. And we need to be ready for him. Now, listen, folks. There are about a thousand prophecies in the Bible related to the second coming of Christ. Three times as many prophecies concerning his second coming as were given us concerning his first coming. And so in the next, like, you know, 20 minutes, I'm going to try to give you a broad overview of the second coming of Christ. But on our journey through the Bible is what we do here at Cornerstone. We'll talk about his second coming at many times when we go through Scripture because both Old and New Testament speak of it. But in terms of summarizing it into a few main points, I'm going to give you three points today about the second coming of Christ. It's the major doctrine of the church. This is the hope of the church. That not only is it true that we serve a risen Lord... But we serve a Lord who is coming again, and a Lord who's going to receive us unto himself that we might be with him forever and ever. So we need to be ready. Three points about the second coming of Christ. First one is this. The second coming of Christ will occur in two phases. Not everybody understands this, so I want to make sure everybody is clear about what the Bible says concerning the second coming of Christ. It tells us in the Bible that there will be two phases to a second coming. The first phase is in the air to rescue the church. It's what we sometimes call the rapture. And then the second phase is when he comes on earth to establish his kingdom for a thousand years, and then after that, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we'll spend eternity with the Lord. But there are actually two phases. Sometimes when we speak of the second coming of Christ, unless you know the context or the verse, are we talking about when he comes in the air to rescue the church, or are we talking about when he comes all the way to the earth to establish his kingdom? Phase one is separated from phase two by the tribulation period. Between Revelation 6 and 18, those chapters in the Bible detail cataclysmic, catastrophic events that will happen on the earth for a period of seven years. It separates phase one from phase two. In Revelation 6 to 18, it speaks about God's final wake-up call to a Christ-rejecting, God-forsaking world, where he will unleash all kinds of events from asteroids to floods to turning water to blood to all kinds of things that will happen as a final clarion call to wake up a lost and dying world. There will be the opportunity for people to come to trust Christ as their Savior during that period of the tribulation. But there will also be many, the Bible says, who will raise a fist in rebellion to God and oppose him and will die in their sins. But it is God's final way of trying to wake up people to who he really is. But phase one is separated from phase two by that period of the tribulation, and that will be really for another Bible study. I want to talk, first of all, about phase one. What does it mean that God is going to rescue the church? What the Bible tells us is that there will be a generation that does not experience death. For believers who know Christ as their Savior, there's going to come a time 
when the Lord will come in the clouds in the air and there will be a trumpet call of God that will sound. And Christians who are alive at that time when, when Christ sounds that trumpet call, the Christians who are alive on the earth will be snatched up and taken up to heaven bodily removed from the earth without experiencing death. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that we will not all sleep. It's a euphemism for death. He said, not everybody's going to die who knows Christ, but we will all be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. In other words, we will get a glorified body on the way up. We will be changed from here to there when the trumpet call of God sounds. Now, 1 Thessalonians 4 records it like this, verses 16 to 18. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Now let me explain. When someone dies who knows Christ today, their spirit goes to heaven. Their body goes to the ground and decays. But because we are to get a glorified body like Jesus has when he rose from the dead... This passage refers to the fact that our remains that have decayed will become glorified and will rise to be reunited with our spirit, which is with the Lord. So those who have gone on before us and are in heaven get their glorified body just a moment before the rapture occurs. Listen to this. The trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's what Paul writes there in that passage. And so we need to understand that there's going to come this moment, and nobody knows when it is, when there's this trumpet call, and all the Christians who are on the earth at that time who believe Christ as their Lord and Savior will be physically snatched. Now, in that verse that I just read, it says, we will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. That word, that phrase, to be caught up, in the original Greek language, which is what the New Testament was written in, is the Greek word harpazo. It means to be snatched or seized. When it was translated in Latin, the word was used raptus, which is where we get our English word rapture. The word rapture does not appear anywhere in the Bible, not the word, but the teaching of the rapture certainly appears in many places in Scripture. And what it teaches is that there will be a time when there's going to be a whole generation of people who know Christ, who don't experience death, trumpet call sounds, we're out of here. Now, some people have asked me out of curiosity, is the trumpet call of God, when that is sounded, does everybody on the earth hear that or only Christians hear that, okay? Is it, is it something everybody hears or is it like a dog whistle, you know? <laughs> Where the trumpet call sounds and only Christians can hear that sound. I don't know the answer to that. All I know is when that trumpet is sounded, I am out of here. <laughs> Bye-bye. Adios, amigos. I'm gone. And so should you. If you know Christ is your Savior, you're going to be gone. And so there's that wonderful trumpet call. That's phase one, being snatched from the earth. Now, however, phase two is when Christ comes at the end of the tribulation period. The event that will culminate the tribulation period is the battle of Armageddon. Revelation chapter 16 speaks of this. And it tells us that there will be this horrific battle that occurs in the valley of Jezreel in Israel. And that there's a place within the valley of Jezreel in the shadow of a hill called Megiddo, the town of Megiddo. There's a hill there. Now there's a tell. There's a, the remains, the archaeological ruins. 
And Har Megiddo in Hebrew, the hill of Megiddo, is where we get our English word Armageddon. And the battle will ensue from various nations that will converge in the, in the valley of Jezreel, there at Har Megiddo, who will oppose God and oppose Israel. That's all we have time for today on Cornerstone Connection. We're so glad you've taken the time out of your day to join us for a period of learning and encouragement for your life. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we'd encourage you to share it with someone you feel could use a little blessing as well. You can find and share this and many additional messages online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also subscribe to our podcast or take us with you on the go with our mobile app. Pastor Gary has also created companion resources that go along with some of the studies he's done. These are available on our website as well. Again, that address is cornerstoneconnection.cc. We at Cornerstone Connection believe that life is done better in community. Are you part of a local body of believers? For those of you in the Leesburg, Virginia area, we'd like to invite you to join us in person at Cornerstone Chapel. Come to our weekend services and find a warm group of people who would love to be your community. Weekend services are held Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. And we have a midweek gathering on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you'll come back next time as Pastor Gary continues through the book of Nehemiah on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.